I loved uh, communion. I'm glad we did, we do communion. Uh, it reminds me that Jesus is our cornerstone, that, that my forgiveness of sins is not dependent upon my performance with God, but that my forgiveness is based on Jesus and his death on the cross. And when I repent and admit my sin, and when I believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then choose to actively surrender my life to him, then my sins are forgiven. And it's not based upon my performance because let's be honest, my performance, probably a lot like yours, can be spotty at times. But his performance was never spotty, but complete. And in Christ, that's our hope. That's why we do communion. Remember who our salvation is based in, not us, but him. I wanna, before I start, I wanna say thank you to those of you that are in the overflow. Thank you so much. That is an act of love to willingly choose once a month to go sit in the overflow so others can have the seats here. You know, the government are saying, hopefully, hopefully by March, we're out of the restrictions and we can all be back in one service. I look forward to that. But until then, thank you for those of you that are making that decision to love others and to choose to go into the overflow. So thanks for all of you that are out there. So much appreciated. To give, I want to paint uh, a background to the uh, story that we're going to talk about, uh, the story that Jesus is telling us about by going into the Old Testament and reading from 2 Kings and, and, and looking at a story that will help us to understand what's going on behind what Jesus says. Now, all you need to know about the story is that Israel is God's chosen nation, and through him, he's working out his purposes in the world. That's what he wanted to do. Uh, and, and Elisha is the prophet of God who hears from God and speaks to the people about what God says. Aram is a country, A-R-A-M, is a country to the northeast of Israel, and they're gaining power and ascendancy, and they are oppressing Israel. And in order to pick a fight, the king of Aram keeps going into Israelite territory and setting up ambushes, hoping to catch the king and his army unaware and then destroy them and take over the land. But the problem is, Elisha the prophet keeps hearing from God. And God says, you know, over here, the king of Aram's gonna set a, a trap, an ambush. Go tell the king. He goes, tells the king of Israel. And the king of Israel avoids going there and, and avoids the ambush. And three times this happens. The king of Aram gets so frustrated uh, until he finds out, well, it's Elisha. Whatever you think in your bedroom, God tells him, and then he tells the king, and that's why you can't get at him. And so the king of Aram goes, well, to solve this problem, I need to get rid of Elisha. And so that's where we pick up the story in 2 uh, Kings chapter 6, verse 18. The king of Aram sends his army after Elijah. Verse 18, as the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. Now that's a key word, both in this story and in the teaching of Jesus we're going to look at. Strike them with blindness. Now, you're going to be able to tell that their blindness was not that they couldn't see, it's that they couldn't see reality. Watch. So he struck them with blindness as Elijah had asked and Elijah told them, hey, this is not the road and this is not the city you're looking for. 
follow me and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. Samaria is the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel. And after they, meaning Elisha and the army, entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, now open the eyes of these men so they can see. And then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and here they were inside a city. So he meets them on the road. He asked God to strike them with blindness. He leads them. They, don't, they see, but they don't see. And they're walking along thinking they're going on the right road and they end up, when God gives them back their ability to perceive reality, they're in the middle of a city surrounded, the army surrounded by the army of Israel and all the people. They are, they, ironically, are in the ambush that the king tried to set three times. And then when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Should I take vengeance on these people who have been attacking us and taking slaves and killing our people and oppressing us? Is this the time to deal with them? Is this the time to take vengeance? Don't kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you have captured on your own sword or bow? In warfare, do you kill your captors or uh, the captives? Set food and water before them that they may eat and drink so that they may go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them and after they finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands of Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Very interesting. Two things I want to pull out of this story. One is they were blind, not that they couldn't see, but they couldn't perceive reality. And number two, rather than dealing with them first in vengeance, Elisha says, deal with them in grace and mercy. It's kind of what we celebrated this morning in communion, wasn't it? Rather than God dealing with us as our sins deserved, he deals with us in grace and mercy, and so peace comes. And that's what happens here. It's a look at the gospel and the heart of God. Vengeance will come, but first God offers grace and mercy for those who would receive it. You might want to ask yourself, have I really settled this whole grace and ish, grace and mercy thing about my sin. Anyway, now we flip over to uh, Matthew chapter six. Now, remember where we're at. We've started this series on Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus begins it by saying, I want you to be salt and light. I want you to preserve the knowledge of God in your society, and I want you to give light so people know where to go to know me. And of course, the question to that, well, how do I be salt and light? And the answer is, you obey me. And then the question to that is, well, what do you mean? How do I obey you? And the answer to that is a sermon, a sermon on the mount, which we have been working through. And Jesus says, this is the way that you live in obedience to me. Now, this part of the sermon we're going to look at today, we've been marching through this sermon. It's a long sermon, so I couldn't do it all at once, and so I've been breaking it into pieces. And today's piece, as promised to you last week, is about money. Now, I love it that Jesus doesn't pull punches. He talks about what is most important to him and what is supremely important to us. 
Now, in this sermon, you're going to see in this section that he talks about money, where he talks about it in a specific pattern. He talks, he gives two opposing, well, he gives an opposing pair four times. We're going to see four opposing ideas, four different opposing ideas. And at the end of each opposing pair comes an aphorism, or an aphorism. And an aphorism is just a short, terse, memorable statement of truth. So opposing pair and then an aphorism or a short, memorable, terse statement of truth. But he's teaching about money. I want to go to the second pair in uh, Matthew chapter 6. I want to start there in verse 22 because it it kind of sets, it, it ties in with the story I was reading, but it sets the background to what Jesus is saying about money. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. So clearly he's talking about a blind person, probably blind people in the crowd because they had no medical treatment. And he's saying, if you're blind, you, if you can see, you have light and you know wh- what road you're going down. But if you're blind, you don't have light and you're in darkness and you can't see reality. So he uses that as a metaphor to say the light that you have, your understanding, the values that you hold, what you believe will bring light and give you guidance on the road of light. But if you don't have light, you're in darkness and you're going to be on the wrong road and you're going to fall. And hence the aphorism that comes uh, when he says in verse 23, If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Short, terse statement. If the light within you is darkness, if what you believe to be reality, if what you believe to be truth is in fact darkness, is not truth, is not reality, how great is your darkness? Why? Because you think what you believe, even though it's darkness, is light, so you're following it, And you will follow it into Samaria with disastrous results. And but for the grace and mercy of God, disaster looms over you. Opposing pair, light, darkness. And if you believe the light you're following is in fact darkness, how great is your darkness? Because when somebody believes they are right, they don't need to seek anymore. Now, Jesus is talking about money. That's true of all life, but he's talking about money. If you believe the way you are handling your money is right, then you won't seek God for wisdom. And so the first thing maybe today is for you to say to God right now, in the quietness of your chair, God, do I have something to learn Am I in darkness when it comes to handling money? That's the first pair. Second pair, so we'll go back to where Jesus starts his discussion on money, verse 19. And we're going to see that the pair is eternity, or the eternal and the temporal. The forever, the today. That which never ends, that which will end the eternal and the temple. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Keep in mind there weren't banks or there weren't many of them. And so people, whatever they had of value would store in safe places in their homes. 
and that's where moth and rust, because clothing was important and was valuable, lasted a long time. You didn't go out and buy your new spring wardrobe very often because most people didn't have money, and if they did, they bought expensive stuff, they would keep it and reuse it, and that's where moth and vermin will destroy, or thieves will know you got money, so they'll break in and steal. So don't store up treasures on earth, his point where you're going to lose it, but rather store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust and vermin don't destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. And so Jesus' point is, you have a limited amount of money in your life, make sure you're using it for that which is eternal, not that which is temporal. Now here's the reason he says it. It's the next aphorism. That short, terse statement. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Many of you, if you've been raised in church, memorize that. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. I memorized it, and I never really thought about what it was saying. Jesus is saying... Where, your, where you spend your money, where you take it and put it where you feel secure, your heart attaches itself to that. So if you are spending and using your money for temporal things of this world, he doesn't say they're wrong, he just says the temporal things of this world, if you, this is where you give your money and you keep your money and you store your money and you spend your money, your heart will follow your money and then your heart will convince you that you are doing right and that's all there is to do with regard to your money. Your own heart will convince you you are right even if you are wrong. How great is that darkness? The choices you make with your money will determine the course of your heart and then your heart will convince you you're right. See, this is why it's so hard for me to get through to you on this. Whenever I preach about money, it's always the people that are already giving that go, oh, I just, that was so good. But those of you who don't give, it doesn't affect you at all. You walk out of here today without this affecting you, this is the problem with your heart. You have been investing it in what is temporal and usually self-focused, and your heart convinces you you are right, and so there's no reason for you to change. But it works the other way, too. When you invest in what is eternal, then your heart begins to go toward what is eternal. And then you love the things of God. A uh, little bit of a testimony. God just took, has taken care of me my whole life. Like The things I, that he intervened on, I didn't even know. I was just thinking back when I first came to Christ, I was in grade 11, and uh, some of my friends got brought alongside, and they began to talk to me about Christ and about my sin and the need for repentance, the need to turn back to God. And, you know, it, was, it took a while, and then it finally started to click, and uh, I came to Christ, confessed my sin, and then turned to Christ, chose to follow him. Probably the third Sunday I went to church. I'd never gone to church before, or not this kind of church. My friend, one of my friends who was a good friend of mine said, 
did you tithe today? I'm like, tithe? Like, well, I'm brand new, right? I, I, I have no idea what he's talking about. I'm like, what do you mean tithe? He goes, oh, give 10%. I'm like, <laughs> so I stopped and I, I literally said to him, I was dumbfounded, I said, are you crazy? And he goes, no, no, this is what the Bible teaches. And then he showed me some verses that scripture teaches. Giving back to God starts with a tithe and then goes from there. I scratched my head and I fought with it a while. But finally, you know, I was fresh and I wanted to obey God. And which, you know, God calls us back to that same first love all the time. When we were fresh and we just want to obey God. So I gave my first tithe. I remember my first tithe. Five dollars and ninety cents. Bam! I hit that offering plate so hard, 590. Kaboosh! It didn't seem, 590 didn't seem so bad. <laughs> Mostly, throughout my life, that discipline has stuck. And I want to tell you, I, I mean this sincerely, it was a grace of God that brought somebody to me to tell me I needed to do this to spiritual habit. If I had not, and if we did do not give, I would be the most greedy and selfish person you would ever face. One of the impacts of giving on my life has been to take my focus off money. I'm gonna tell you, I'll be honest with you, I would be very greedy and very selfish without my wife and giving. They're the two gifts God gave me to change me. And conversely, interestingly enough, because we give, God has, over these years, God has created in me a love for Jesus that I don't understand. It's not natural for me to want Jesus. It's natural for me to default and want what I want. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying I'm perfect. We can have testimony time. I get my wife and kids come up here and say, yeah, he's not perfect. But I'm just telling you what I've noticed in my heart, that there is a love there, a decreasing love for money and an increasing love for God that has come out of a spiritual discipline. And I wonder if maybe the reason your passion for Jesus isn't as sharp or fact is shallow is because you don't give. Invest in the eternal, says Jesus. Your heart will follow it. More on that in a second because we're coming to the next, the third pair that Jesus talks about. And then he says in verse 24, no one meaning no one, can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. So Jesus is saying you can't serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other, or you're going to hate one and be devoted to the other, but you can't be devoted to both. And notice what he's assuming here. You and I, our hearts are going to love someone or something. That's just the nature of who we are. We love. And our love will attach itself either to a person or to things, but we will love. 
In the danger of unbridled love, Paul picks up, let me just read for you in uh, 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6, uh, some verses about how our hearts are a danger when they love the wrong things. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, and I would add to that the understanding of housing, we should be content with that. If God wants to give us more, he give us more. But our job is to be content because, and here's why, it's the love issue. Those who want to get rich, those who set their heart on becoming rich, those who are driven by a desire to have more fall into a temptation and a trap and do many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Pretty harsh words. There are a statement about what happens when a heart attaches itself to money. And he doesn't say, it, you, you have a lot. He just says, if your heart desires to pursue it, you become like the Arameans on the wrong road. For, and he explains why, for the love of money, not money, he says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. When you love it, it becomes a infestation ground where all kinds of evil come up, compromises you make, decisions you make, it, uh, the way that you act, what you go after, how you treat other people. All the love of money produces a root of all kinds of evil. And some people, eager for money, have wandered from the pit face and pierced themselves with many griefs. They have been like the, the, the Arameans who were blind to the reality of what money does in their life. We're blind to the reality around them and walked into disaster. We become like them. We're blind to the reality of what money does to us on the inside because we don't stop to think we will love. And if we attach our love to the wrong thing, we, become, we are on the wrong road and we end up in the wrong place. We get to decide but we do not get to decide where the road leads that we choose to walk. And then the aphorism. You cannot serve both God and money. You gotta choose. Now for those of you that are sitting there and you're thinking, or some, your family has said to you, I wouldn't go to that church. All they want is your money. You heard that? I know you've heard it. My answer to that is, of course we want your money. Of course we want your money because your money is what stands between you and God. But when you use your money for God, he has you. We don't care. We don't really care much about your money. We care about you. But it's what stands between you and God in your heart. Money is the one thing that competes with the role of God in your life. And if you do not see that reality, you will walk the wrong road. In truth, we want you. All of you. In truth, Jesus wants all of you. I'm just here telling you what he wants. 
because you're far more valuable than your money. Jesus said, that ends. You don't. Jesus didn't die for your money. He died for you. But your money is the one thing that you can set your heart on that will steal your heart from God. Listen well to what I just said. Listen well to what Jesus just said. You cannot serve God and money. You will give your heart to one or the other. How do you know if you've given your heart to God when it comes to money? Will you obey his commands and they're plentiful in scripture? Give. Give to those things around you that you see will be love for God or love for others. Give. It's been entrusted to you to invest. And how you invest it will bring you eternal reward or temporary dissatisfaction. And as I said, if you look at scripture and you look at the whole, when Jesus says give, he means start with the tithe, 10%, and then start going further from there. Now that sounds like a lot. And it is. But that's just the point. It doesn't cost anything to follow Jesus. He's not worth following. Final pair. I was intrigued that Jesus spent more time on this, than he, this pair, than he does the others. Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, or what you will eat or drink, or about, what, or about your body, or what you will wear. Now, Jesus isn't saying, hey, you shouldn't eat. He's saying, of course you've got to eat and you've got to have clothing, but don't make them the focus of your life. Isn't the life more than food? Isn't your body more than clothes? Then he does the look at the birds of the air thing. God takes care of the birds of the air. Do you not think you who are the image of God, the apex of creation, do you not think God will take care of you? Verse 31, he says, so don't worry. Saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? Now, what are we going to wear? Most, very few of us, especially in this area of Canada, though some would be possibly here, we don't think about what we got to eat. I mean, when was the last time you worried if there was food in your fridge? I mean, we live on... You want to talk about remembrance. We live on the shoulders of generations before us who have faithfully, perseveringly built this country to a point where very few of us ever have to worry about food or clothes. Where will we live? Hmm, that's becoming an issue. For the pagans run after these things. The pagans make this the focus of their lives. And your heavenly father knows you need them. Let's stop, 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 stop. 
Your heavenly Father knows you need food. He knows you need clothing. He knows you need a place to live. He knows you need a car to drive to get to work. He knows you need money to support your children. He knows you need money for schooling. He knows you need money for retirement. He knows you need money for the weddings that are taking place. He knows you need that stuff. He knows it. And so now the aphorism. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these things will be given to you. Kind of a bold statement by Jesus, isn't it? Hey, you seek God first? The rest will find its place. One of the individuals that marked my life was a missionary named Jim. Uh, he's, he had passed, he's passed away maybe 10 years ago now. But uh, when he was a young man, he felt the call of God on his life. And he went to the mission field. After he retired, he came back and attended the church that I was at. And we were doing a campaign. I think the campaign, I can't remember, it was a campaign for the whole church. But I think it was to reduce debt. And uh, the elders had announced it, and the church was moving that direction. And then Jim came up to me. Now, he had no money. Jim came up to me, and he gave me a $600 check. And uh, I looked at him, and I said, what's that for? And he goes, well, you, the elders have decided that this is the way the church needs to go. And I trust that God speaks through the elders. And my wife and I have determined this is the amount of money that we should give. And um, when, uh, so I wrote a check, and here it is. And when you cash the check, the money will be in the bank account. And I'm like, what? And he, he said, well, the money's not there now. But when you cash the check, God will put the money in the bank account. I must have had a funny look on my face. <laughs> not the normal funny look that I usually have, but a different funny look. And uh, he, he told me the story. I think it was then, but I, I heard this story before from him. Is that he had taken his family... Uh, to Africa because he felt called by God, but he didn't have enough support. And so when he landed in Africa, he was really on his own. He wasn't with a missions agency, but he, he believed so strongly he was supposed to go, he just picked up his five children and his wife and left and went. And he, he went to a place where no missions organization or no missionaries were at, a way out in the bush where he was planning a church. His wife got really sick and she needed medical help or she was going to die. And he didn't have the money to pay for the medical help. And so he was fasting and praying before God and he knew that the mail came in on Fridays and so he fasted and prayed all that week, called out to God, laid it all clear what God needed to do and then he went to the walked hours to the post office to get the mail that was going to provide for his wife's life. And when he got there and he waited, the mail was put out and he opened his box, nothing, not a thing in the box. And so he asked, Is there, did a letter fall down? Did you not put everything out? No, everything's out. It's all there, nothing on the floor. It's all out. And he walked back, hours back to his outpost, his home, and he was totally in despair. His wife was sick 
There was a good chance she would die. He had five small children he was going to have to deal with. He had come out here on faith, and God had not come through for him. He was in despair. That evening, he heard a knock on the door, and he opened it up, and there was an MAF, a Missionary Aviation Fellowship pilot, standing there. And he handed him an envelope, and he goes, you know, somebody gave me this envelope a couple weeks ago to give to you, but I hadn't really been in the area, and so I was waiting till I would be in this area. And he goes, I was flying back home, and I guess God put it on my heart that I had to stop, and I had to land and give you this envelope. So I don't know what it means, Jim, but here you go. Well, of course, you know what was in the envelope. All the money he needed for his wife's medical treatment. He went back into his room. He wept before God. He repented of his doubt, his doubt of God, his anger, his heart of unbelief. And he determined before he got off his knees, he said, never again am I going to ask you for money. Whatever you give me is what I need. And if a need comes up, You'll take care of it. I'll seek you first, and then you bring what I need. Never again will I ever ask for money from you. Never again. I am just going to trust you to give me when I need it. So, fast forward to the church, hands me the $600 check. There is no money in his bank account to cover the $600 check. But his words were, well, God will put it there. God directed the elders, God directed me and my wife, he'll put it there. And guess what happened when we cashed the check? The money was there. Seek first the kingdom, and God will make sure you get what you need. Doesn't that sound like a better way to live? We are all on a road, all of us. When it comes to money, every single one of us is on a road. And then Jesus brings us to a fork where he says, listen to me, there are two realities, an eternal one and a temporal one. Choose which reality you are going to invest in. Now let me say, of course you need money for your needs and, and your children and your family and your schooling and your retirement. Of course you need that stuff. But in the mix of all that, are you investing in the eternal? Are you giving? Jesus says, I counsel you, invest in the eternal because your heart will follow you. And, and don't, don't be shocked that if you do not listen to me, that you will be following what you think is right and good, light. You think you're following light, but you're in darkness. And how great is that darkness? And don't misunderstand me. Your heart will love, and it will love either God or will love money. You choose what you will love by what you give to. And by the way, don't worry about what you need or what you want. I'll worry about that. You just seek me first. Seek me first by giving. Again, the scripture starts at a tithe and then goes up from there. 
Trust me, says Jesus, and I'll take care of you. So you get to choose. But you don't get to choose where the road leads that you decide to walk upon. Let's pray. Jesus, um, money is always a sensitive topic. Um, I think largely because you aren't really that sensitive about it. You just deliver the truth to us in ways that catch our attention. And then, ironically, you give us the choice to do with it what we want. My prayer for your people that are bowed before you now is that we would trust you that we would seek first the kingdom of God, that we would really believe that there are two realities. And that if we invest only in the temporal reality, we lose it all. Naked we came into the world, naked we leave it, said Paul. But Jesus says, ah, you can move it ahead by giving to me. Help us to follow the light that is true reality and to walk in the light. Give us the courage to trust you with the challenge to give. And give us the wisdom to know where. God, change our hearts that love money, love ourselves, and turn them into hearts that love you, especially when it comes to this topic. In Jesus' name I pray.